Welcome to Grace on the Go. This podcast is designed so that you can take grace with you anywhere you go. This episode is a sermon from Sunday, April 10th, 2022 called, Sir, We Would Like to See Jesus, given by Pastor Jonathan Dinger. The scripture passage highlighted for today's sermon comes from the Palm Sunday story from the book of John, chapter 12. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. I want to share a little thing with you here from, um, it's an old folk song, and I don't mean it to really be irreverent. It's a folk song, and it's about a plastic Jesus on the dashboard. Any of you remember this one? Um, So here's a verse, and there are some less than good verses, but um, it kind of shares a little bit uh, an idea that I I want to share with you here on this Palm Sunday. So here's a verse. Well, I don't care if it rains or freezes, long as I have my plastic Jesus riding on the dashboard of my car. I could go 100 miles an hour, long as I got the almighty power glued up there with my fuzzy dice. There's other verses. You know, you can get a phosphorescent version, a glow-in-the-dark version. You can get, he's pink and pleasant. You can get, there's all kinds of things you can get with this plastic Jesus. And the commentary I want to read you here is somebody who has dealt with a lot of people wrestling with faith, matters of faith, people who've rejected God, rejected Christ, people who've just had real questions. And it really brings to mind this question, what kind of Jesus do you want? You know, here's the temptation. On high festival days, say Christmas, at Christmas, we, you talk about the baby Jesus, right? On Easter, you talk about the empty tomb. On Good Friday, you talk about the crucified Jesus. On Ascension Day, it's the ascended Jesus or the baptism of Jesus. It's a, you get snapshots of Jesus. And yet, when we, when Pastor Chris and I and Teresa, when we're working on worship and putting this together, it is always our earnest goal that you never, never just get a snapshot of Jesus. Because it begs this question, what kind of Jesus do you want? We live in a world in which so many people are living with less than a whole Jesus. Just a partial Jesus. Let me continue this commentary here. What kind of Jesus do you want? And this person says, many people don't want the real Jesus. They want a more convenient version. But the real meaning for today in this Palm Sunday can be found in that same question. This counselor asks her groups, what kind of Jesus are you looking for? Do you want a miracle Jesus? Right? Somebody will work a miracle for you? Do you want the traditional Jesus or a ritual or ceremonial Jesus? Do you want a military Jesus or a Messiah Jesus? Or in modern times, do you want a plastic Jesus or a Prozac Jesus? Do you want your Jesus in a bottle? Or maybe a Mr. Rogers kind of Jesus? If you're looking for any of those, you'll be disappointed. But the reason we're disappointed is that we're looking for the wrong kind of Jesus. A friend wrote me yesterday with a wonderful quote she heard on the radio. Each time somebody discovers, each time she discovers someone claiming to be an atheist, she responds to them, well, tell me about this God that you don't believe in. And when they do, she says, I don't think I'd like that God either. Did you catch that? Tell me about this God you don't believe in. You know, right? Because what's the answer? Oh, he's mean. He's judgmental. How can a baby get sick? How come my mother got cancer? How come I didn't get the job? 
How come tra tragedy strikes around the world? We, we must have a mean, nasty, horrible, yucky God. Well, I don't like that God either, right? Our disappointments usually come from a wrong view of God. So here's my goal today. We're launching Holy Week. I'm going to do something I do with all my new member classes. I'm going to do it quickly, but I'm going to give you a, I'm just give you a quick summary of the week. If you want to jot notes, you can jot notes. It's illegal. It's okay, by the way. And if you want to take out a Bible or your phone or whatever, by the way, I commend Bible Gateway, great app. Um, and you can find John. Uh, we're going to be in John 11, 12. John chapters 11 and 12, they're lengthy. Um, and, and I'll have, you know, we'll print up a number of them here. But I'm going to commend this to you. Because what I want to do is give you just a snapshot of what Holy Week is. Because here's my point. Sometimes Palm Sunday can just be the palm-waving Jesus. We don't just need that Jesus. We need the whole Jesus. So just like, you know, when we do Christmas around here, and, and I don't know that everybody loves this. We love celebrating babies. You know I do, because we always have babies. But we always talk about the cross, too, don't we? Every Christmas. If we don't talk about the cross, we whiffed. We blew it. Because the baby came to do that. So the same way, we need to talk about the whole Jesus. So here's how, here's how Holy Week lays out. So on Sunday, the first of these, of this, there's eight days total in Holy Week. Jesus rides into Jerusalem in a donkey. He's fulfilling a prophecy. Tammy, thanks for reading for us today. You always honor the word. Thank you. And they're shouting, Hosanna. It means, it means Lord, save us. And he rides on a donkey. That fulfills a prophecy from Zechariah chapter 9. He came humbly, not in a chariot, not in a white stallion. He came on a donkey. Secondly, on Monday, he walks into the temple, sees them sees the money changers there, and Jesus in righteous and holy anger, this is probably the second time he does it. It's like, didn't you guys learn your lesson the first time? He comes in and he throws them out because he has turned, they have turned the place into a place of profit instead of a house of prayer. So he throws them out. Tuesday, Jesus teaches a whole bunch of parables, and some of them are quite edgy. He's warning them. He's warning them about false religion like the Pharisees were practicing. And then he predicts the destruction of the temple. Okay, we're at Tuesday. Wednesday's quiet. It makes perfect sense, doesn't it? Because starting the next day, it's going to be a thing. It's a gauntlet that Jesus is running from Thursday on. But on Wednesday, it's quiet. We have nothing. Probably resting. Jesus is fully human also. Probably resting. Thursday. In an upper room, Jesus celebrates the Passover meal with his disciples, but he changes it, transforms it. For those Jewish men, the Passover had always been a celebration of being saved from bondage and slavery to Egypt. And now Jesus reminds them that in the breaking of the bread and in the shedding of blood, in Christ's blood, the new Passover lamb saves them from sin and death. And so in that meal, Jesus institutes that great gift. And then he goes to the garden to pray, agonizing about what lays ahead of him. And then he's subsequently betrayed and he's arrested. On Friday, following his betrayal and arrest, then he's imprisoned. Jesus is uh, deserted by all his disciples. He's betrayed. He has false trials, false witnesses, um, condemnation. He's beaten, beaten. He's sentenced. Jesus carries his own cross to the place of the skull. It's called Golgotha, Mount Calvary where he was crucified with two other criminals. On Saturday, Jesus is dead. 
That sounds very stark, almost sounds irreverent. It was promised. Jesus died a real death. He lay in a, dead man, in a, in a rich man's tomb, prophesied in Isaiah in a rich man's tomb owned by Joseph, Joseph of Arimathea. On Sunday, the passion is over. The stone is rolled away. Jesus is alive. He appears to Mary and other women, to Peter, to two disciples on the road to Emmaus, and to 11 disciples that evening gathered in a locked room. His resurrection was established by eyewitness testimony. Back then, those seven days were called Passover for Jewish people. Still called that today for them. But for us, for followers of Christ, they are the most holiest of days. It's Holy Week. And here we are. So what I want you to do today is I'm going to focus in on one verse. If you have your Bible and you want to look at it, it's in chapter 12. And it's right at the end of the triumphal entry, right? Jesus is coming in. The crowds have gone nuts. They're gone nuts. This is a major celebrity. He has come in and he has, he has established his reputation. People are going crazy. And the religious leaders are, are not happy. They are unhappy. And, um, and they, they make this statement, you know, what are we going to do? Look, the whole world's going after him. But then there's this neat line right at the end of it. It kind of dies down, and it says, now there were some Greek Jews, right, some Greek believers who went up to worship at the feast. So they went up to the temple to worship in Jerusalem. They were, practic they were practicing Judaism. But they were Greek. They were Gentiles. They weren't Israelites. They came to Philip, one of Jesus' disciples, probably because Philip has a Greek name. And they go to Philip, and this is one of my favorite lines in all of Scripture, and I'll tell you how I use it. Sir, we would like to see Jesus. Now, let me tell you how I do that. At every installation or ordination, you know, in our tradition, like uh, Chris was ordained in Twin Falls, then he was installed here. Um, when he was installed, we have a special service, and we invite all, all of our pastors to come. So the pastors come, and then there's a part in the service where we go up and lay hands on. Uh, it doesn't mean we beat him up. Um, we, it means we ble it's a blessing, right? So we do a blessing. And usually it's scripture. And this is the scripture I quote. I said to Chris when he was installed, I said, Chris, in this place, people would like to see Jesus. Amen? Sir, we would like to see Jesus. So this is my goal for this message today. I want you to see Jesus. The whole Jesus, not just the Palm Sunday Jesus. And here's how we're going to do it. And I'm going to really strongly encourage you, plan on worship later this week. Whether it's Seder meal on Thursday, or it's Good Friday service, or for Easter, put them in there. Because I want you to get the whole Jesus. The whole Jesus. And so how we're going to do it today is, we're going to back this up just a couple days. Just a couple days. Because we're going to go back to Lazarus. And this is cool. I feel embarrassed as a pastor. I've been a pastor 26 years, and I never made these connections. So for me, this is neat. I went back in the John version, because on Easter Sunday, we're going to look at John also. That's the, story, that's the Easter one we're going to look at. It's awesome. It's going to be fun. It's cool. And so trust me, please come. Bring your friends. Invite everyone. Um, and so in this one, just a few days earlier... Jesus had three dear, dear friends that weren't in the, in the 12. Mary and Martha and Lazarus. They were probably financially pretty well off and probably were Jesus' kind of financial backers of his public ministry. We don't know that for sure. We think so. It makes some sense. Mary and Martha were unmarried. They were sisters to Lazarus. And Lazarus, single man. A little bit unusual. But Lazarus dies. Remember the story? 
Lazarus dies, and word comes to Jesus. He's, days away, he's, a, he's a day or two away in travel. And they say, Jesus, your good, good friend Lazarus <coughs> excuse me, is dying. He isn't dead yet. He's dying. Can you, can you hustle and get there? And Jesus waits. He waits because for four days. He shows up four days later. Here's why. Because he had to be really dead, not mostly dead. He had to be really dead. And in Jewish tradition, you could kind of revive if it was less than three days. This is also tied to Jesus' resurrection. Okay? So he comes, he's really dead, and in the end, he, Jesus is very passionate about this. He weeps at, Jesus, at Lazarus' tomb. He weeps. He's, and they say, see how he loved him? And, and, and Lazarus, uh, uh, Jesus finally, in the end, he calls Lazarus by name. I'm going to mention this on Easter. Lazarus, come out. And he comes out. What's interesting is when Jesus shows up, right? He shows up. So the two sisters, Martha and Mary, and they both say the same thing. Now, you could play this pretty snarky. I knew some pretty snarky Jewish women growing up in New York. <laughs> you know, and it could be something like this. You know, Jesus, if you had been here, he would not have died. <laughs> right? If you had been here, my brother would not have died. What kept you? You know, it's really a kind of an interesting statement. And then you get this. So let's do this. Go ahead and fill that in for me. So in the Lazarus one, here's Jesus' powerful word in, in, in which Jesus is describing to Martha, right? Your brother will rise again. And Martha, it's almost like you can imagine this. Yeah, yeah, I know. You know, yeah, in heaven. You know, that kind of thing. At the resurrection of the last day, he'll rise again. And Jesus isn't taking any of this. He's, here he comes in and he goes... I'm the resurrection. You're looking at him. I'm the resurrection. Now, this is foreshadowing, right? Literary stuff. This is foreshadowing. In fact, the Easter story probably should begin here because it's bookended. It's bookended with resurrection. Now, here's the thing. Lazarus rises from the dead, and he's going to die again. But Jesus is the first fruit of those who have fallen asleep. Never to die again. So you get this foretaste, and then you get the final win. He gets the full win, the full win on Easter Sunday. But these are the full, this is the full Jesus you need to know on this Palm Sunday. Jesus has just set the stage. I am the resurrection. That is what this is all about. This is all about this. So that those things that would bring death and despair and loss into your life are overcome by this Jesus who is, in fact, the resurrection and the life. And he says to Martha, do you believe this? And I love her response. I think she's humbled. And she goes, yes, Lord, I do believe it. I believe it. I believe you're the Christ. And here's the thing. It leads us to the second one, to the second point. So the first thing is he is, he is the resurrection. He anticipates us. He foreshadows it. But the second one is that he's the Christ. You know what Christ means literally? It means anointed one. So the second line is anointed. If you're looking in your Bibles, the next scene that follows, so chapter 11 in John is all Lazarus. It's the rising of Lazarus. He calls him by name, and he's, he, he, comes, he has risen from the dead. And I love the line he gives him, take, take his grave clothes off. I, I, forgive me, that's a whole other sermon there. But we walk around with grave clothes on too often, don't we? We walk around with grave clothes. Please, stop walking around with grave clothes. Jesus takes them. He'll wear the grave clothes and he'll transform them. 
Anyway, never mind, another sermon. But this one's anointed. This very next scene is Jesus then goes to the house of Mary and Martha and Lazarus, right? So they're there. It's got to be this celebration, right? Lazarus risen from the dead. Jesus, come on over. We're having a party. And so they come in there. And in the midst of this party, Martha knows something is up. And we believe that Martha and Mary, that they have experienced grace from Jesus, that he has somehow worked through forgiveness and reconciliation in some way. And Martha is so powerfully moved She comes and she takes this bottle of perfume. It's worth a whole year's wages. And she breaks it, right? Spending it all, pouring it on Jesus' feet. Now, Judas is in there, and he says the very politically correct thing, you know. He's very very woke and progressive. And he says, what is she doing? You know, this should have been sold and given to the poor. And you would think, Jesus would say, yes, that's right. Why did you waste this on me? And that's not how it goes down, does it? Judas says, why did she waste this? And look at Jesus' words. Leave her alone. (laughs) Jeez. Thought I would be okay. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. I had never noticed that. No, I mean, I knew that line. But in juxtaposition, I am the resurrection and the life. Lazarus is risen from the dead. She is anointing me for my burial. I'm received in triumphal entry into Jerusalem. I'm handed over to be killed. This is powerful. You know, I tell people, you maybe have heard me this before. You know what she's doing? She's preparing. Our Jesus is about preparation. All this was planned before the foundation of time. All of this God knowing full well in that making us is the high point of his creation and the focus of his love. You think God didn't know we'd blow it? And people often ask that. That's a crisis of faith. Well, why would God do it if he knew we were going to blow it? What, did any of you think you were going to have perfect kids? Well, maybe you did. You have them anyway, don't you? Because you love them. You adore them. You love them. God has kids. He adores us. He knew we'd blow it, but he would never abandon us, never leave us alone. God prepared for this before the foundation of time, and she is preparing him. Uh, I tell people this all the time. Like, they'll come to a funeral service, and I get people. I say, hey, do you want people to speak, family members or whatever? And they'll say, oh, yeah, we want these three people. And I say, and I say well, I'd like him to prepare. And somebody will say to me, well, no, I'm just going to wing it. And you know what I say to them? I say, oh, so you didn't like him very much, did you? That's kind of snarky of me, I know, but you honor someone by preparing, don't you? You honor them when you prepare. Jesus is being honored by her. This is our opportunity to prepare as we enter into this Holy Week and to honor our Savior because he prepared for you. He honors you. Before you were born, before the foundation of time, your name was on his lips and he prepared for you and he was chosen and his is the death that forgives. This is the one that she realizes. She prepares him for his burial. It's an anticipation. The third thing is this. Then he comes in. Hosanna, Lord save us, right? This is the God who saves. Point number three. This is the God who saves and he comes in on a donkey, he's fulfilling, he's fulfilling prophecy. I want to read you this quote. Corey Ten Boom, I've mentioned her before. She's now passed away, she's gone to heaven. 
And she was a Nazi, um, you know, Holocaust prison camp survivor. Her father, they, she wrote a book called The Hiding Place. And in Holland, during, as Jews were escaping, her father built a small little room to hide Jews that were escaping from Nazi uh, persecution. And then they got caught and she and her family were sent off into, into concentration camps. And I think she was the only survivor. Her sister dies, her parents die. She survives. And she ends up sharing about, uh, about her story and also about reconciliation and forgiveness all of those things. Well, she became very famous. My mother just loved her and read her stuff. And we got to see her in person um, more than once. But what was cool is there's a story that goes, she had been at a university with thousands of people there and received an honorary degree. And just she got to speak and people just gave her a standing ovation, many minutes of cheering for her. And one of the reporters came to her afterwards and said this, he asked her if it was difficult to remain humble while hearing so much acclaim. She replied to him, young man, when Jesus Christ rode into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday on the back of a donkey and everyone was waving palm branches and throwing garments in the road and singing praises, do you think that for one moment it ever entered the head of that donkey that any of that was for him? She goes on, if I can be the donkey, on which Jesus Christ rides in his glory, I'll give him all the praise and all the honor. That's the heartbeat of this. Would that we were such donkeys, that we were the ones that could carry our Jesus so that he might receive the praise and honor. So much of Hosanna and what the crowds were shouting that day were for themselves. Lord, save us from the Romans, from economics. Save us from whatever it is, getting, getting sick. Jesus didn't come for himself. He came for you. He came for our world. But you know what? It's not parades that save us, is it? Parades don't save. And, and, you know, it's funny. We talk about this, too. Even your faith doesn't save you. It's the object of your faith that saves. It isn't the parade that saves. It's the object of that parade. Who is Jesus Christ? And the fourth one is this. The whole world has gone after him. Lift it up. This is the exaltation of Jesus. How is Jesus exalted? And it's funny because you would immediately think on Palm Sunday that Jesus is exalted because of the praises of the people. They welcomed him as a conquering military hero. They tore down palms. And Jesus is trying to direct their attention otherwise. I'm on the back of a donkey, people. Do you not pay attention? And they don't get it. And they're cheering for a military hero. And Jesus comes to save him differently. The exaltation of Jesus. When we think of exaltation, we think of praises, we think of honor, we think of positions of power, we think of adulation, we think of degrees or titles or uh, financial bonuses or accoutrements or whatever it is. We think of all of that. And in the exaltation of Jesus, he is exalted in being lifted up on a cross. And that's the exaltation of Jesus. 
You know, in, in our world, there's any number of pastors and churches, you see them on late night TV, who can guarantee you uh, financial success if you just give your heart to Jesus and send them 50 bucks. Um, they'll give you secret water and they'll give you cool things and little enchantments and meditations to do. And that is not the glory of Jesus. The glory of Jesus is in his humility. Jesus says this, Now my heart is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. He sees what's ahead of him. No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. How does he do it? Now is the time of judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world, the devil, will be driven out. But when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men to myself. How will that happen? Jesus is lifted high on a cross, and he will draw the whole world to himself. It's easy to make the case. There is no other single human life in the history of this planet that has ever drawn more attention to himself than Jesus Christ. And not for attention's sake, but that more eyes and hearts have not been drawn. Not all eyes believe, saw and not all hearts believed, but that every eye has not seen. He draws all men to himself. How does that happen? Lots of people can draw crowds. How will he draw all men to himself? And I mean to make no political statement here at all. It's really not a political statement. I'm intrigued by the response of the world to the Ukraine in that the face of evil has been unmasked and we have been so hesitant. And there's all kinds of reasons. Whatever, I'm not getting into a debate. All kinds of reasons. We don't want to be drawn into World War III. We don't want to see this. It's not our fight. It's not our battle. This and that. Compare it. I had a dad who served, who volunteered in World War II. Teresa's dad, at a very young age, 17, 18, he had to get his mom to sign, volunteered to serve in the Navy in World War II. In World War II, what a difference. When evil revealed its face in the world, farm boys in Iowa signed up. Why? What were they getting out of it? What was their return? And you know what? For 50 years after World War II, much of the world loved America. And you know why? It was because of those farm boys from Iowa that shed their blood and still sit over in the speeches of Normandy. Because they did it not for themselves, but for love of country and liberty and for relatives and friends. Because many of us all had roots over there in Europe. Many, many of us. Not all. Many. Or in Asia. Whatever. But they went because of love. They went to serve. And they sacrificed. That's why Jesus draws all men to himself. He is loved. He did not have to do it. And yet he did for you. And so Jesus is lifted up on this Palm Sunday. And we will lift him up higher each and every day of this week. So that we are, when we are drawn to the foot of the cross, we will see the glory of God. With his name on your lips. To God be the glory. Amen. If you have any questions or comments, email them to podcast at gracepocatello.org and make sure to subscribe to our channel to stay up to date on sermons and classes at Grace Lutheran Church in Pocatello, Idaho. This podcast is designed so that you can take grace with you anywhere you go.